Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. My name is Dave Denniston, your host, and welcome back to the latest episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. Welcome back, my friends, to our monthly fireside chat with a physician to get to know their journey, their joys, and their struggles with finances and outside of finances. And as you know, this isn't always about actionable content. And what I love about these particular segments, it's really a chance for you to see behind the curtains of another physician's shoes, to walk in their, walk in their shoes to experience their lives. Now, our next guest, she is a neurologist. She is a graduate of Case Western Reserve University, and she completed neurology residency training at the University of Chicago. Now, she does more than just practice medicine. She is an adjunct professor at the John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, but she's also a medical writer for a whole number of websites, including nonclinicaldoctors.com, verywell.com, Neurology Times, and Physicians Money Digest. And beyond all that, she's also written a book, which is entitled Careers Beyond Clinical Medicine, which is published by Oxford University Press. So I can't wait to hear about her experiences. Please help me welcome Dr. Heidi Moad. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you, Dave. Nice to talk to you today. Well, awesome. So glad to have you here with us to empower us with uh, your knowledge to help other physicians, because in this show, we're all about helping doctors slash their debt, slash their taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up, and what was your childhood like? Oh, well, thank you, Dave. I I did grow up in Cleveland, Ohio, and I... um, came from a medical family, so pretty much not just my father, but my whole extended family is physicians. And um, so it was always kind of uh, practically default decided for me that I would become a physician as long as I had the grades to do it. And so it was something I really just hadn't really thought of that much or hadn't really considered other options. And um, and I went to medical school, and I absolutely loved neurology. It totally captured my interest, and I love neurology residency. And then um, when I started working, I just kind of had this sense a little bit of what else is out there. And, you know, as physicians are constantly complaining about all the different um, regulations and all the things that physicians are being told to do, I really wanted to know, you know, why not me? Why can't I figure out what's going on behind the scenes and who's making these rules and who's pulling the strings? And, um, you know, I had the typical kind of attitude of insurance companies shouldn't tell me what to do and I'm so smart, (laughs) I know what tests to order. But then I I had a very pleasant conversation one time with um, one of the insurance company people who was telling me that I couldn't order a test. And I found out that he founded the company. He was a physician, and he was running this awesome company and was more than happy to consider the idea of having a neurologist. And it just it opened this whole door for me of figuring out what's going on behind the scenes in payment and payment policy and um, insurance companies and, and all that stuff that seemed kind of like this closed door, and I wanted to peek behind it. 
So I started working for them, and it was absolutely wonderful. I loved it. I learned so much. I, um, I gained a lot of confidence in doing something that I didn't know how to do before, and, um, and so that was just a great experience for me. And, um, and that's essentially what led me to write my book, Careers Beyond Clinical Medicine, because like throughout those years that I was working for this um, consulting company, I had so many doctors who, some of them I, I didn't even hardly know them, would have gotten my number from a friend and called me and asked me how to find a job like that. And I just felt like, you know what, I need to um, consolidate all this together and help people find a job outside of clinical medicine either with, you know, as they're practicing at the same time or completely leaving practice and, um, and give these instructions. So I was, like, super excited about the idea, but I only knew the utilization review world. So I contacted, like, everybody I knew who worked in any other field, pharmaceutical and entrepreneurial and biotech and everything, and I interviewed tons of doctors. And I got so much inside information, and I put it all together in a book, and I... Um, got it published by Oxford University Press. They were wonderful in walking me through the process, um, especially because I had not, you know, written anything before. Sure. And, well, let, um, me, let, me, yeah. let me interrupt you there for a second, Heidi. So I want to come back to that. Um, mm-hmm. But first, I want to know more about kind of your, your early influences. So you mentioned you, you were in a family of doctors, yeah. extended family, lots and lots of physicians. Yeah. Was... Was doing something outside the box something that other family members had been doing at all, or was it not until you had this moment of revelation? Tell me about that growing up, and were you with family in the clinic or at the hospital? What what was it like in, yeah. in growing up for you? Um, yeah, I don't. I didn't know anyone who did anything outside the box, and it was, um, you know, it was. I was an adult when I made this decision. I mean, I was already the mom of two kids. I have three now, but I had two already when I um, made this decision, but it was, you know, completely off the wall. And I was, and mind you, I was still kind of in medicine, but just the whole idea that I would try something that's not purely clinical practice was crazy. I never knew anyone who did it, um, and nobody in my family knew anyone who did anything like that. So um, now that so I look back, it's not that what, weird, but at the time it seemed completely, you know, crazy. What, what did your, what did your, because your parents were both docs? What, what did they um, Well, say? actually, my, my, um, my father's a physician, but my mom's whole entire family is our physicians, and she managed his office. So she was very much in the medical field, but they just, they were just stunned, and um, you know, very nervous about it and, you know, how are we going to explain this and what, what does it mean and what, you know, they were still hoping, I think, that I would go back to practice and, um, it, you know, it was just very overwhelming for them. Um, my husband, who's also a physician, was super supportive and that was really nice to have, you know, he was like, you always are talking about this kind of thing, you need to just try it out since you finally got this opportunity to do something you are so curious about. So that was really cool that, you know, you have to have someone supportive, I think. <laughs> so, yes, um, absolutely. Well, especially mm-hmm. with having, because you have a family, you have your own kids, and, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're thinking about them and their future, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, any of them want to be doctors at all with having two, two physicians and this whole history of doctors? Yeah, well, it's funny. My, um, my oldest does not want to be a doctor. He's going to college in the fall, and he wants to be a computer programmer, computer engineer, um, which is suits him really well. He'll help mom and dad um, with the EMRs. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. 
So, um, so that suits him really well. My other two might want to be doctors. And we're just very much like, you know, really want them to explore their passion and do what they think they're, you know, they would be good at and what they are excited about. So they're a little bit younger to have made that decision yet. So sure. we don't know. Sure. Well, <laughs> well, in this podcast, we talk a lot about money and finances. Mm-hmm. And it's always just interesting to me to see what, what shapes and molds perception around money. So what about for you? As you think about growing up, you can tell us about some moments that you can recall that really were your biggest influences when it came to money. Yeah, that's a good question. I, um, you know, I I grew up in a family of immigrants. So, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of, well, we didn't have any family here. So I really think that... um, you know, anyone who grows up in an immigrant family doesn't have the same sense of security about mm. things. So it's basically you have to earn money and you, you kind of need it as sort of a safety net compared to someone who's maybe more comfortable in not financially, but just more comfortable in general. So I think sometimes maybe money is needed to replace the fact that you don't know the system and you don't have anyone to sort of back you up. And so I do think that perhaps being, more, being a second generation, it's, it was a little easier for me to step back and say, okay, well, I can take this risk and I don't know if it's going to still last after a few years, but I know something will work out, you know, versus I think when you're first generation, you just can't take any risks. And it's totally understandable, you know. Um, so did your, did your parents talk about money, you know, kind of growing up, about being tight, wanting to have, you know, a lot to fall back on? Or was it just kind of I something that, just, that you kind of knew? I, like, how, how did I you know that security? I think maybe just something I knew. Important? You know, I think that I grew up without a sense of um, – well, one thing I observed among some people is sort of like you can spend everything or even spend enough to go into debt and that it's okay. And I definitely didn't grow up with that attitude, you know, that you pretty much have to have a nice big buffer. And I still have that attitude now. So, and, and fortunately, I'm very lucky that my husband has the same attitude because I think if he didn't and if he was more interested in spending everything we had, I think it would make me very uptight, you know, <laughs> because mm-hmm. I think I like to have that security too. But I also don't have... Um, for whatever reason, I don't have a strong need to prove that I have money. So I think I watched maybe that a lot, uh, maybe on television or, um, I don't know, just kind of observed a little bit, and it just is something I have no interest in. So I'm, you know, not, um, it's not a drive for me, you know, and sometimes it sort of startles me when I, hear someone say that they spent something um, that's a really high amount just to show that they did, because I just don't consider that anything I'd care to have praise for. So I don't know, maybe it's, um, you know, again, maybe it's valuing as an immigrant, you know, as a child of immigrants, daughter of immigrants, that maybe it's valuing the security more than the, um, the showing off that you could accomplish something. Sure, so, sure. So I don't know. Never thought of my, never thought so deeply about it. <laughs> well, that's that's why we're here. Get to know what's yeah. going on. So mm-hmm. um, I, I would love to know how, as you as you go to medical school, 
you're in medical school now. Did at that particular point, did you have to get debt? Were your parents really debt averse that they didn't want you to get any medical school debt or undergraduate school debt? What was that experience like for you? Yeah, well, um, so undergraduate, I, I had very uh, generous academic scholarships. So I did go to an expensive school. I went to Case Western Reserve University, which is pretty pricey, but um, the tuition was very low just because of academic scholarships that I had um, received from the school. And then in medical school, there was no such academic scholarship. And um, again, I guess culturally, um, never crossed my parents' mind that they would not pay for my education. So, um, so I was very fortunate that I didn't have to pay for it, you know, which is very expensive. But I think maybe at that young age, I didn't appreciate how expensive because I wasn't taking it on myself. And that is not a common um, predicament to be in. It's very nice, I guess. No. Um, so I did have other classmates that I know also their, their parents paid for their education, but it was something that uh, most people didn't want to say out loud because I think we were in the minority, <laughs> you know. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I talked to a doctor who said uh, because he wanted to fit in, that he mm-hmm. took out loans <laughs> in oh, order funny. to, to, to uh, he didn't need to, but uh, yeah. he took out loans just to feel like he kind of fit in. Yeah. And um, I, I think obviously it's such a blessing when you start off on that foot. Um, right. Along this journey, were, did you feel like you ever made any mistakes with money that became a lesson for you? Uh, what, was, what has that been like as you went through medical school and transitioned to residency where maybe you're doing okay, but not great? Yeah. Um, well, I think I really probably, at one point, I, um, when I had my first child, I was at the end of my residency, nearing the end of it, and I felt very much that I wanted to be done with training. And so I didn't do a fellowship, and I got a job right away, and I got a part-time job, and I think that I maybe could have stayed um, as a resident, or not a resident, but I could have done a fellowship. And I felt a little bit like I wanted to hurry up and earn money because I was a mom. And that, and my husband was still a resident for another few years after me. And so I think that I had a, a little short-sighted at that point. So if I were to tell my younger self, you know, um, what I would do, I would say, you know what, a couple years of fellowship is not a big deal. Um, any extra qualifications in education is a great thing, you know. Um, and I just was probably a little short-sighted on that one. I think that having a job, and then I moved from that job when I, I left, Chica- I was in Chicago at that time, and then I moved back to Cleveland um, when my husband finished residency, and he got his first job here in Cleveland. So I changed jobs, and it was a little bit tough on me because I had a private practice job with um, where they weren't covering my malpractice insurance tail. Oh, and my gosh. So that was really bad because I had been warned about that when I was looking for a job. I had I'd been warned by people in my residency who said, you know, when you apply for private practice and your husband is still a resident, you may have to leave Chicago, make sure you get this uh, tail covered. So, and, and this is a terrible story, but I mentioned it in the contract and they said, well, we never heard of the tail. We don't know what that is. Oh, my and, word. you know, made it out like I was kind of crazy. Well, and I was very young and very naive, well, not that young, and I shouldn't have been as naive, but I believed them. And then when it did come time for me to leave, um, they said, well, we can't pay a tail. A tail is $25,000. And I, I thought, 
wait a minute, they said they never heard about a tail. They never heard that word before. And they said that at 10 years ago they had tried to change malpractice insurance carriers, but their tail was going to be too high. And so I, I felt stupid, you know, at the time um, for not really insisting. So I think that one of the things I did was um, I kind of let myself get pressured, like, oh, trust us, you know, this isn't a big deal. And I didn't take the advice of the people who were from my residency people who were giving me advice where they had nothing in it for them. They were just being totally genuine and giving me advice. And I, once I got kind of shut down, I let it go. You know, I've so, heard this, you know, heard you this live and learn. Though. What was you that? Know, I've heard this said a few times that for a physician to negotiate, particularly with their mm-hmm. employer, it's, it's almost like you've been through medical school and then residency, you know, it's almost like you've been trained to mm-hmm. accept and not challenge. Yeah, yeah. and there was and a little bit of a, I was really silly. I mean, looking back, oh, don't you trust us? You know, and it's like, you know, now it's like I'm much older now. And, you know, when you watch TV, it's such the cliche, you know, oh, don't you trust me? <laughs> it's exactly what a person mm-hmm. says when they're a bad guy. <laughs> so right? I just can't believe I was that, you know, stupid. But... I, I mean, it was stupid, and I, um, I really had to dig myself out of that one. We, we had to pay for me when I moved to Cleveland so that I would be covered. And, um, you know, it was just an expensive lesson. But, um, well, it sounds like it was not um, unrecoverable, though, either. You know, it wasn't... Correct. It wasn't uh, unrecoverable. It was just kind of, I had, not only had I been given good advice, I didn't take it, you know, because I got that silly pressure. So you just live and learn. <laughs> so what, what would you tell someone that's listening, that they're thinking about going to private practice and you're telling them tail coverage is important? What would you suggest to them if they run into a situation like this? I would say, you know what, you're better off doing a fellowship and taking a much lower salary and not having a commitment. Or doing, you know, sometimes a uh, university not all, but some universities might hire like a part-time clinical faculty and not pay them that much, but you don't have that issue. And so I would say if you are not sure you're going to stay for a long time, then, you know, don't get yourself in that kind of situation. And I was definitely in a position where I had had one child already, my husband was still a resident, and it was very logical and foreseeable to everybody who knew me that there was a big chance I'd want to move back to Cleveland and come back, you know, to be closer to my family so I could get help with the kids. And, and when my husband looked for jobs, I mean, Cleveland was very good. So it was so, um, in hindsight, it was like, why did I think so short term? I kind of wanted to prove myself that I could be an attending and I am ready to be on my own. And um, just there's no rush you know, that's probably what I would say is don't rush and wait until you get the right thing. And if you, if you need to do some kind of low-paid anything, it's better than rushing into something that, where you have a hard time getting out of it. That's good. That's a really, really great mentorship and advice. <laughs> I think um, the, the other thing that comes to my mind as you're, you're talking about uh, dealing with employers and negotiation mm-hmm. and, and tail coverage, and I've, I've seen this turn into nightmares a lot of times, is just mm-hmm. get agreements on paper. 
you know, mm-hmm. handshake deals. This wasn't a handshake deal, but they just kind mm-hmm. of ignored it. You know, it yeah. seems like if, mm-hmm. if you were able to capture it on paper that, yes, we will do tail coverage for you, you know, it could have been documented rather than accepting them at their word that they didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's just something that comes to my mind as I think about other physicians that I've heard. Would you agree, yeah. disagree with that? No, I agree. And I mean, when I, you know, I would definitely do that. And I have had, interestingly, as I've gotten older and I've gone from many different kind of jobs, I've done telemedicine and I have, um, and even I have to have malpractice insurance for um, reviewing cases in utilization review. I have always asked for that and I've never had a hard time. People, when they know that you're more confident in asking for something, they don't beat around the bush and they, they come back and, you know, and, uh, and respectfully give you what you're supposed to get. So I think that sometimes seeming a little bit naive can be um, can be a problem. Unfortunately, we like to think of medicine as being such an honest profession, and it it breaks my heart when I hear because I I know I'm not the only doctor who got kind of uh, <laughs> like um, brushed aside about certain concerns. I've heard things like not exactly the tail situation, but all kinds of other things from many different physicians over the years. So. You know, the more confident you are about what you're asking, the better. Very good. That's excellent, excellent advice. Now, mm-hmm. one uh, question as, as we look, this is kind of the past. I mm-hmm. want to know kind of the future for you in terms of how do you think about financial freedom? You know, wh- what does that mean for you? Yeah. Um, good question since I have a senior and um, the others are going to follow right back behind, you know, right, <laughs> right behind him. Um, I think that it, you know, I've always had the attitude like I could live um, a very frugal life if I had to. And so I think for me, financial freedom is just knowing that um, that you have what you need and that really the bells and whistles are just bells and whistles. And I think that, that it's more of a, um, it's an abstract kind of thing, but I feel like I could always, you know, there are a lot of retired people who travel all over the place. And, you know, if my husband and I can do that, that's great. And if we can't, you know what, there's lots of parks you can walk around and a lot of nice things. And I, so I think for me, financial freedom is knowing that you don't have to do anything crazy. You don't have to work in a situation that you hate because buying things is so important, you know, um, so that makes so work, much time. We yeah, so and, much time, and that right? makes work more enjoyable, I think, knowing that you're working and if you're being um, compensated well, that's great, but you are in a position where you can't get pushed around, I think is a nice, um, nice feeling to have. So for me, it's definitely the fact that I could live with a lot less if I had to. Yeah. Do you feel do you feel that you're at the point of financial freedom now, or how how are you tracking progress towards that? So you, yeah. you kind of defined it as not. you could live. We online. do not feel that way. So I have um, three kids. My oldest is a senior in high school, and then I have um, two that are younger. And I, and you know, I'd really like to pay for a good portion of their education. And um, and then ideally, I would like to work or to to um, enjoy retirement years and travel and um, so I don't feel that way now but at the same time the work 
that we're doing is we're happy with it. So I guess it's sort of like I have financial freedom, but I'm working. And if I didn't work, then um, definitely it would hurt as far as what we'd have to pull back on, especially with the kids' college. But um, but it would be okay. You know, am I ready to quit work? Absolutely not. You know. <laughs> Well, let's, let's, let's talk about that now. So uh, let's round back to what we started at the beginning about how super passionate you are about physicians and that you wrote the book, Careers Beyond mm-hmm. Cl- Clinical Medicine, that you are living as well as writing about. So we, we, we got to know a little bit about your inspiration behind it, that uh, you, you just had, had that epiphany um, mm-hmm. one day and your parents were uh, wondering how this is all going to turn out. So you, you kind of took yeah. us to the beginning of, of that journey, Heidi. So I'd love to know, um, how, how did you wrote the book and what happened after that particular point? Oh, gosh, thank you. It was, it was really nice. So I wrote the book. I had a lot of great guidance from, um, from the editors at Oxford University Press. And then after I wrote it, I decided that I needed to figure out how to publicize it. So I started blogging just a tiny bit. And, um, and then what happened is I got invited to blog more. And it didn't take very long for me to be invited to blog actually for pay. Um, so once that started, I was like, wait a minute, this is really cool. This is kind of a job. So then I started to actually pursue opportunities. And I started to put a CV together. And I started to put writing samples together. And um, and once I did that, I started to really do a lot more writing to the point that it, you know, with teaching at a university and writing, it adds up to being about full-time. And so that is something that has grown slowly, though. And I know that a lot of doctors want to write. And, um, I mean, p- people are very direct with me. I've had people who send me emails and say, you know, how do I write and make a lot of money? You know, and... Mm. And I'm not in any position where I hire people, so I don't have that kind of clout or position at this time. But um, even so, I would think nothing ever came to me without me having proven myself. So, um, so I would say that I've been very, very happy that I can write as a practically like a 50 to 70% job, but... Um, but I had to prove myself first before anyone was inviting me or <laughs> paying me for anything. And, and that's advice that I would give anyone is, you know, why would you, you know, prove yourself. And it doesn't hurt that much to prove yourself. And if you think it hurts a lot to prove yourself, like to write a few articles for free, if it's really that horrible for you, then maybe you wouldn't be happy writing for money either. I mean, you have to enjoy it a little bit at least to be able to put in that, evidence that you're good. That's great advice. Well, and I know at some point in this journey, so you, you, were, you were writing, you were blogging. What, was that on your own website, other people's websites? What, what has that been? Um, yeah, it started on others first before my own. And then I um, developed my own. And um, it, so I started writing for others and sometimes with uh, very heavy editorial guidance and sometimes without and sometimes the topics were chosen for me and sometimes I was um, pitching topics. And then I, as I started to learn more about blogging and about the whole industry of online writing, I realized, you know what, this is something that um, 
non-clinical careers has a very little resources online as far as real things. There's a lot of like advertising on there, like you click on something and then there's just um, things you can sign up for and pay for. So I was really dedicated then to making a website that would be free. And um, the website has, yes, it has a link to my book, which is kind of promotional, but then I linked it to Google Ads. And when I did that, it started bringing in revenue. And so that kind of motivated me to provide better and better resources. So what I have is I have a place online that I'm constantly updating that has links to a lot of different things, so to jobs, to utilization jobs, to government jobs, to um, medical licensing information, to jobs that are available for people who don't match, which is a really underserved population. Um, oh, how to negotiate a contract. moment. It is, it is. And so I really am striving to provide this as a free resource for people for that kind of do-it-yourselfer who either wants to transition out of clinical medicine or who can't get into clinical medicine in the first place and needs to do a non-clinical job because they can't get a license. So, you know, like I said, I'm just always working to keep it as updated and as many resources and links as possible. I even had someone reach out to me recently where he developed an app that, um, or a widget I guess is the correct word for it, that updates in real time residency slot openings for people who didn't match. Oh, wow. So, yeah, and so I mean what I do is I basically redirect to that website because I just want people to be able to get what they need depending on why they come to my website. You know, there's information about how to negotiate a contract, how to get into the pharmaceutical industry, all these different kinds of things. And I even have links to physician coaches and mentors because while I'm dedicated to keeping it free and I'm pretty hands-off as far as like I don't, you know, coach people or charge them any money, if someone wants to pay for a personal coach, I have that link too. I have several, you know, because some people want that more one-on-one attention and they want someone to guide them. And so if that's what they want to do, they want to pay a personal coach, I have, you know, the people who are expert in guiding physicians out of clinical medicine, I link to them as well. So I'd love to know just kind of someone that comes to mind when you think of someone who maybe they they did not get matched in residency Mm -hmm. or they decided they were in clinical medicine and decided to transition out. So tell me about a time where, where you were able to help someone through this, this process of getting matched to a non-clinical job. I'd love to know a time yeah. that, that happened. Well, I had, um, well, I've had a lot of people who email me and I just tell them, you know, try out these links and apply for these jobs. And I've had people come back to me a month or so later and say, you know what, I got that job and it's going well. And then I have people who seem very lost. They don't know what to do. And I tell them, you know, I think you maybe need the physician coach. And, um, and you know, so I sometimes get feedback about that as well. Sometimes they say, you know, they come back and say, well, I don't want to pay. Um, and that's fine too. But um, then I tell them, you know what, take these quizzes. Like I give them the links to the quizzes of how you can figure out what's right for you then um, on your own. And I've had um, people who didn't match. That's the big one. And, and those are where I have a lot of resources for different kinds of licensing that you can get 
without a residency. So there are things you can do when it comes to like um, acupuncture, for example. You can do medical aesthetics. You can do um, even some things with uh, nerve conduction studies and things like that where the, you can still get a full-fledged license, but it's not an MD license. But at least I help them um, in terms of having those resources all on one page and they can go and they can see, is this something where I would want to go that route instead? It's maybe a little faster than residency, but it's easier to get into. Um, so, you know, I sometimes get feedback and I sometimes don't. I've also had people who really insisted on um, you know, that they didn't want to coach, but then they seem like they still need one. So I, I sometimes, depending on the personality, I direct them to recruiters. And um, the thing about recruiters are that there's not like that many people who are going to say, well, I'm a non-clinical recruiter. A recruiter either works for the pharmaceutical industry or they work for um, wound care or they work for something very specific. So sometimes I can say, you know what, try out this recruiter. And then the recruiter just takes over and they get paid um, through a different route. They get paid by the company that takes the, the candidate. So, so it's a little bit of triage, I guess, um, depending on well, what and, they and I have to imagine. I mean, someone has $300,000 in student loans. They might be just, mm -hmm. just at a point where I just need to get paid. So right, I can, right, which means I can move that, on with my life. Exactly. And so it depends on, it, you know, different people are, well, I just need to get paid, and I'm willing to pay one of these physician coaches a couple thousand dollars to make that happen. Um, some people, I need to get paid, and I'm willing to do the research myself, get my CV together, apply to jobs, and make it happen. You know, and it's, everybody's different, and their personalities are different, and that's, you know, that's perfectly fine whichever way people want to take that. Hmm. I love it. That's so cool. It's, it's what a great Thank way you. to serve the community. And the website is nonclinicaldoctors.com. Is that yes. the right website? That's correct. So nonclinicaldoctors.com. There's books. There's, I'm poking around on the website right now. There's kind of a, a job board, careers for physicians without residency. So lots and lots of good stuff on here, a toolkit. So I encourage everyone to check out this website if if you're thinking about wanting to transition out of non uh, out of clinical medicine into non-clinical medicine, because I know there's a lot of physicians that are burned out out there right now. Yeah. Um, I would love to just ask a do a quick lightning round with you, Heidi, if I could, before we wrap up this interview. Sure. Thank you. All right. So, question number one: What are the top three financial habits that you have? Um. Let's see. I guess I would say paying my bills the second I see them is one thing. Um, That's I, good. Um, I check on my balances periodically. Like I have kind of a schedule and a reminder on my phone so that I log in and check um, every week. And um, other than that, I think I try to have as few credit cards as possible because I'm not smart enough to keep track of too much. <laughs> Good to know your limits. Awesome. Second question, what is the guilty pleasure that you spend money on? Hmm. Um, I would have to say sushi would be the thing. <laughs> oh, sushi, my kind of lady. Yeah. All right. Uh, third question, what does being a success mean to you? 
Um, you know, being a success to me means getting along with people. So I think that that's um, something that understanding people, where they're coming from, and getting along with people, not necessarily being fake, but getting along with people and acknowledging that everyone is different and accepting people for their differences. That to me is just priceless. Beautiful. So, still working well, towards it though. <laughs> aren't we all? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, Heidi, we're going to wrap up this interview. And I have one, one more big question for you that uh, you talked about previously already some of, some of the advice you would give to a younger you where mm-hmm. you were talking about ha- being patient and mm-hmm. perhaps having gone through that fellowship. Well, I'd love to know maybe any other advice you might give to your younger self beyond that, that piece of great mentorship. If you're sitting down with a younger Heidi that's a first-year resident, just matched out of medical school, what would you tell mm-hmm. her? Uh, gosh, good question. I would say um, just study. Study a lot. <laughs> so there's never enough studying, unfortunately, as a resident. And I, looking back, it's like just study a lot, ask a lot of questions, don't be afraid to ask questions, learn as much as possible. So, awesome. And, be, and um, you know, just... Yeah, just learn as much as possible and don't be afraid to ask questions. That is so good. Well, I think there's so many different things that uh, I gained out of our interview today and just talking about your life experience. I think a lot of people could, as they look at maybe doing some non-clinical thing, look at what you've done with blogging and how you started out. I thought that was great advice of proving yourself. I think that was one one big thing I I picked out out of the interview today as well as – Obviously, you were grateful coming from the immigrant family. You've really obviously taken good care of money, but it doesn't mean everything to you. Mm-hmm. And I think some, some of your habits are great. Um, and overall, I think it's just exciting to see someone like you doing something outside the box. So I, I'd love to know from you, Heidi, there's so much that we could cover, uh, but do you have any closing thoughts that you want to make us aware of as we leave today? Um, I guess I would say, um, you know, uh, I can't think of anything. <laughs> you've been so great at asking questions, and you've made me think about a lot of things I hadn't thought of before. But um, I guess I would say, you know, just like one of the, the biggest things I've learned also is that some of the people who have reached out to me for help have actually been more helpful to me. And that's just something that I never saw coming. So I would say, you know, don't hesitate to help people because sometimes I've taken my time and responded to these emails and, you know, I kind of felt like I had nothing to get out of it, but I was doing it because I maybe felt for the person. And then sometimes I, they turn around and really, you know, give me some good advice. So I would say, you know, don't hesitate to help people. You never know what you'll get out of it. And it's always even better when it's a surprise. So. Awesome. Well, Heidi, thank you so much for being with us. And if people have more questions, how can they get in contact with you? Um, best way is to go to the contact me on, on nonclinicaldoctors.com, and I will respond. Wonderful. Well, that wraps it up for today, my friends. And in the next podcast, I would love to tell your story because it would be my honor to host you on the next podcast because I know we can learn from your journey, just like Heidi provided some great mentorship to us today, and it will help.
other doctors. So I, I think we really get some good notes out of this conversation with Heidi. I encourage you to re-listen to it, particularly the part about writing if you're interested in doing your own blog or something of that nature. Have questions? Want to be on the show? I would love to have you. Make sure to contact me at dave at daviddeniston.com or on my website, www.drfreedompodcast.com. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Denniston. Remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberal lifestyle. And also, if, hey, if you gained some value out of this podcast today, I'd be eternally grateful if you can share it with your friends. Share it on social media. The more subscribers we get, the more people we make aware of this podcast, the more we can help other people. So again, thank you so much for joining Heidi and I today. And make sure to subscribe and check in again soon. Have a good one.